We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. While you're turning there, just want to thank you. We've asked you to pray uh, for the Garden Tractor Pull ministry yesterday. Thank you for praying. It was a beautiful day. I got the opportunity to preach, uh, give the gospel. Um, it was huge. We were at the point where uh, we finished the pull by the lights of a couple of pickup trucks because it was about 8.30 by the time we got done. Uh, way, way, way bigger than any other pull we've ever done. Um, everybody and everybody was uh, showing up. So um, we just didn't anticipate that many participants. So thank you very much for praying and continue to pray for us as we continue that ministry. We have already begun the series on Christian liberty. We're going to continue that because the Bible is very clear about Christian liberty. It's very difficult to preach on because I'm a black and white guy. I like to say, this is what the Bible says, here's what you do. And that's pretty easy. On the other hand, Christian liberty has very black and white principles, but putting them into practice is situational. There's a, a term that is used when you're talking about security and safety. It's situational awareness. You want to know what the surroundings are and how you deal with this if this happens or that happens. Christian liberty is very much that way. Who you're surrounded by, what your circumstances are, who the people are, is a huge factor in how I live out my Christian liberty. Christian liberty simply says this, that there are many things in this Christian life, excuse me, (coughs) sorry about that, there are many things in the Christian life that I have the liberty to do what I choose. may not be the same as you. I have the freedom to do things and the freedom not to do things. You may not have that same freedom. It is not circumstantial evidence about circumstances. It is not situational ethics. But it is about the situation. We've already looked at several things uh, beginning in verse 1 there. And the key thing there was this. Excuse me a second. By the way, this cold is not from a tractor pull yesterday. That's what all of you are thinking. My wife is a very generous person. One of her customers is a very generous person. And so they passed it to her. She had a cold for a week. And Friday afternoon, she gave it to me. So, And by the way, I didn't even kiss my wife for a whole week because she was sick. And I still got it. So uh, anyway, it's just the way it is. So anyway, but it says that knowledge makes us arrogant because you can say, hey, I'm a Christian, I'm strong in the Lord, I'm in the power of his might, and I can do this, and it's not going to affect me, it's not going to drag me down, I'm okay. And you know what? I really don't care about you because it's all about me. This sermon is going to tell you a principle that it's applied to Christian liberty that we all know. This Christian life is not about you. It's not about me. It's about the other person. When I live out the Christian life, I'm living it for the glory of God, obviously. But I'm living it for the benefit, the good, the well-being 
of the other person. And in Christian liberty, that's a bottom line principle. So if I'm just knowledgeable and what I believe and I'm strong, I could run roughshod over someone else and bring devastation into their lives. But the second part of that sentence is this, but love edifies. The word edify means to build up. You're building that other person up. Not just being neutral. Not bad to be neutral, but you know what? I want your life to have an impact and an influence on other people. That's exactly what God wants. He left you here, not because you, if you've trusted Christ, you're ready to go to heaven. But he left you here to have an impact and an influence on other people. And that's what he wants you to do. But we can take that liberty, that freedom, that right, that power that we have, that authority that we have in Christ, and we can misuse it. The Apostle Paul is going to hound this subject over and over again. So you may be a little tired of it by the time we're done, but it keeps going from one thing to the next. And then the next thing the Apostle Paul talked about, he says, idols are nothing. Idols are nothing. They are a representation of a non-entity. The Corinthians, many of them, had worshipped idols. And that was their lifestyle. It was their culture. It was their society. And when they got saved, these idols were still being had uh, sacrifices offered to them, and that was the best meat. We talked about that last time. And if they ate that meat, a new, weak, unknowledgeable Christian would think, if I eat this, it's back like I was worshiping the idol. Now, Paul made it clear that idols are nothing. But he also, in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, said that behind the idols are demonic forces. There are evil spirits, demons, fallen angels behind it. And so there is something to it. But the idols themselves are nothing. And guess what? Those idols cannot affect if meat is good or bad. It's a neutral kind of thing. It's an amoral thing. Meat is meat no matter what has been done to it. It's just the way it is. So he makes that clear that these things can be agents of Satan and they also can be used by Satan to affect, influence, impact Christians. We who know better know those idols are nothing. They cannot take meat and make it something bad. They just can't do that. But if I am not careful, I can tear somebody else down. We're going to pick this up at verse 7 of 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Because there is an influence. Here's what it says. However, not all men have this knowledge. Not all of them know that idols are nothing. That they can't really do anything. But some being accustomed to the idol until now, eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol... And, uh, notice this, their conscience, being weak, is defiled. The first big word that we want to look at, it's a real small word, but it's defiled. Because something that is defiled is something that's soiled, it's stained. It's not a bad thing. If you get a new piece of, a new garment or something like that, 
you don't want to get that first stain. <clears throat> you don't want to get that first stain on it because it's like, oh, this was brand new. It was pristine. Well, something that's defiled is something that is pristine, but now it's been soiled. It's been stained. And he said, be careful how you use your liberty. Because there are people who have a mindset. They haven't grown spiritually. They, they're not strong. They're not wise as Christians. And when they see you do something like eating meat that was sacrificed to an idol, they're going, oh, well, that's a problem. Because they think back to their old life. A number of years ago, <clears throat> I had the opportunity of working with a young man. He was probably about 20 years old or so. Um, and um, he came here to church. He doesn't come here now. But he came here to church, and he saw that I drove a sports car. I had a Mazda RX-7. Everybody bugged me that it was a midlife crisis and all that. It wasn't. It was just a cheap car that I got, and it was a fun car to drive, no doubt about it. Well, this guy, and I'm driving, I have no problem with that, except that this young man saw and said, and he told me this, so I know I'm right about this. He said, well, I saw that you as a pastor are driving a sports car, so I went out and I bought a brand new Mustang. Now, this kid could not afford the Mustang. He shouldn't have had it. But you know what? Because of what I was doing, he felt justified that he could go out. Now, he lost the car within about six months because he could not make the payments. And he came to me and he says, you know, you, you drive a, that sports car. And I just thought, well, if you can drive a sports car, so can I. Well, what he never did was ask me. And he was a naive, young, weak Christian. And he went out and spent, I think it was $20,000. Is that what a Mustang cost back then? I think that's what it was. He had a loan for $20,000 for a Mustang. He never talked to me because I paid 500 bucks for my car. You know, it was a huge difference in that whole thing. Well, as soon as I found that out, I had to go to him and say, listen, I almost use his name. Um, I had to go to him and say, hold it a second. We got a problem here because what you're looking at, you saw what I did. And you just thought, hey, that's okay. You, I can do that. Now, a car is nothing. A car is not here or there. I don't care. Uh, by the way, I got rid of my RX-7. You know why? Because my credibility and integrity is more important than lots of other things. That car was dangerous for me to have. I don't drive motorcycles and a few other things. By the way, I'm not against motorcycles. I'm not against sports cars. I'm not against any of those things. But I'm a motorhead. I've been one forever. And you know what? Driving that car, because that car would go around the cloverleaf of a, a highway faster than you want to drive on the, the, the highway itself. And unfortunately, I'm confession here, I've done that. And I had guys hanging on to the dashboard because they thought it but you know what that thing would just just like a race car you know what i had to get rid of it because you know what that was going to be a problem and i knew that someday that was going to cause me problems i had to get rid of it and i did get rid of it the, and i'm not telling you not to go have one i'm just saying i knew what it would do to me and i found out that that influence was had what it impact and influence i had on someone else Here's what I don't want you to do. 
Do not leave here today. Go, okay, Paul is putting us in a straitjacket and we're walking on eggshells. And I need to worry about everything I do. No, that is not the thing that I'm trying to get across. That's not what the Apostle Paul was doing. The Apostle Paul was not all nervous and anxious of, am I going to hurt somebody's feelings? Am I going to tear somebody down? But here's what he didn't do. He didn't knowingly or purposely flaunt who he was as a Christian. I have every right to own an RX-7. No big deal. But I also know what it what it wasn't good for me, and I also knew that it had an influence on other people. And so it, the car itself, it's neither there, here nor there. But if it's something that impacts somebody else in the wrong way, to consider that. Remember, it's the situational awareness. As a pastor, guess what? My influence is probably different than yours. Not better or worse, but let's face it. I have a a broader influence than most of you will have. That's not bragging. That's just the way it is. You know what? Some of you work in a big company. Your influence in that company is huge. Some of you have connections, whether they're political or social or civic or whatever. You know what? You have a huge influence and a huge impact on those around you. You need to be aware of your situation. As a pastor... I know what mine is. At least I think I do. I've been doing this for a while now. It makes a difference. You need to look at it for yourself. I'm not going to give you an illustration that fits you. I can only tell you ones that fit me. Think about that as you do whatever you do. Because what you don't want to do is defile somebody else and, and bring them down. Verse 8 goes on to say, But food will not commend us to God. We are neither the worse if we do not eat, nor the better if we do eat. The Apostle Paul is making something clear, and we're going to see this before the end of the sermon. If you use your Christian liberty, you will get criticized. If you don't use your Christian liberty, you will also get criticized. The Apostle Paul knew that, and chapter 9, he makes that very clear. But we didn't get to chapter 9. Food is food. You need to eat food, or you're not going to be here very long. In a little while, you're going to dry up and blow away. You know, you, you just won't be alive anymore. You need to eat. It's, it's neither here nor there. It's something that you need to do. But eat, you're not going to stop eating because, well, maybe somebody's going to think wrong. No, but you need to be aware of your circumstances. There is a responsibility that goes with that. Look at verse 9. And this is a command by God through the Apostle Paul. But take care. That's a command. Be careful. Look at what's going on. That this liberty of yours does not somehow become, and here's our second word, a stumbling block to the weak. To the best of my ability, I am going to do nothing that stumbles someone else, that trips them up. Now, you know what? My life is not your life. So I could stand up here and say, well, this is what Paul Mulfair does. 
And I can tell you those things. There are a lot of things that I made choices not to do a long time ago. Long before I was a pastor, I made some choices about various things that I'm simply not going to participate. I already know most of you, and a lot of you have no problem participating in those things. It's neither here nor there. Remember, we're not talking about things that are thou shalt or thou shalt not. We're not talking about moral things. We're talking about things in the middle that they're neither here nor there. They don't make us a better Christian or a worse Christian. They're just there. But I've made a choice not to do some of those things. Why? I started making those choices when I was a youth leader long ago, way back at Lebanon Valley Bible Church. I started saying, you know what? I'm not going to do this because I have seen young people get tripped up by these things. So I decided not to do them. You know what? I've decided that it's still a good thing not to do or a thing to do. I've made those choices and I've stuck by them. I haven't had to change them. Your situation may be very different. But here's the thing. You need to be careful. That's what it says. It's a command. Be careful. Don't allow your freedom. Don't allow your liberty. Don't allow your authority that you have in Christ to cause harm to the other person. Remember, love edifies. Love builds up. That's the bottom line. I'm looking at the other person for their good, their well-being, for their benefit. Not me. It's not my conscience. It's the other person. I want them. I want the best for them. I'm sorry. Verse 10. For if, and this is hypothetical, if someone sees you who have knowledge dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things to idols? I looked at that. I don't know what that actually means. I'm going to tell you that right up front. Did they hold banquets at the uh, idol temples? And um, some of the Christians went in there and got the best meal in town? It seems that way. I really don't know. But it doesn't say meat offered to an idol there. It says in an idol's temple. Many years ago, this person is now deceased. He was, um, let's just say he was a problem child. He was married, and um, I was counseling with him and his wife. And, um, well, let's face it, he was not acting the way he should have. He was a believer, but he was not acting the way he should have. One night, right after supper, I got a phone call at home. The wife called and said, Paul, can you come over? My husband just pushed me down the stairs. He punched a hole in the wall, and he kicked the screen door down. Can you come over? Now, when he did that, he took off and went walking. We didn't know where he went. Uh, I had worked with this guy before, so I knew that he had the tendency to be angry and violent at times. And I went over there. Now, I got in trouble. Just a, a heads up. I got in trouble with my wife for the first time and the only time in ministry for not calling home. It's back before cell phones. Um, I didn't come home till 2 o'clock in the morning. And when I walked into the bedroom, she said, don't they have phones? <laughs> because she knew what I was walking into. She didn't know what the situation would be. She goes, at least you could have called me. So that was not a good thing for me to do. But... I went down, I talked to the wife, and I knew, and she told me, that sometimes he went to this bar. It was Angie's up here. Was, sometimes he went to that bar. 
And I'm like, this guy has got a few screws loose right now. Uh, I want to find him and hopefully bring him back and, you know, settle things down. So what am I doing? I'm like, okay, man, I have never gone into a bar on purpose in my life. Now, I've been to plenty of restaurants where they serve liquor, but, but I've never gone into a, what, just straightforward bar. And I'm thinking, I'm a pastor, okay? I'm not just any old person. I'm a pastor. What if I go up, to, and, and I did do this. I, what if I go into Angie's, and as I'm walking in or back out, somebody from Garden Chapel drives by? <sighs> but you know what? I have to tell you, I did go in. I still, to this day, can feel how awkward that was. I mean, I was not comfortable doing that. And it was back when everybody smoked in a bar, and the thing was real dim lights, I couldn't just poke my nose in the door and say, oh, yeah, he's here or not here. I had to, I walked the whole way through the bar, the whole way to the end, circled around, came back, checked out. Everybody, they could see I was looking for somebody, and they could see I didn't belong in there. And everybody was looking at me. That's awkward, really awkward. And I walked back out. He was not there. And eventually he did, he walked, actually walked the whole way. He probably walked somewhere five miles or so and then came back and then I ended up taking him to the psych ward up at um, Harrisburg Hospital that's how I got in trouble with my wife because until we got him checked in it was two o'clock in the morning but the point that I'm making is this I did that I have no problem telling you I did that but I'll tell you what it was something that I was trying to be the most careful I could be because it's not something that I want like, oh, we saw Pastor Paul go into the bar, coming out of a bar. It would have been even worse yet if one of you had been sitting in there. That would have really been bad. Uh, but, but, but the point is, this area of Christian liberty is very difficult. There are no pat answers. That makes it very difficult for me to preach on it. Because I like pat answers. I like black and white answers. But these are hard things to do. That wasn't an idol's temple, but I'll tell you what, there's a lot of people in there worshiping a bottle. I've, I've actually told people that are alcoholics, is you have a God. Your God is in the form of a glass bottle filled with some alcohol. That's your God. That's, that's what this, your life centers on. Could I go into a bar and get a sandwich? I guess I could. The only thing is, I choose not to do that because I know that that would probably send a very bad message. To some of you, it would send an absolutely horrible message because you've dealt with those kinds of things. We need to be very careful. Look at verse 11. For through your knowledge, he who is weak is, now here's our other word, ruined. Doesn't mean annihilated. Doesn't mean you're done away with and you go into nothing. It means utter destruction. I tell you what, you go, this is Christian liberty. This is, this is not, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not steal, or those kinds of things. It's, it's not one of those. But the point is that it is very much, a very important and very horrible if used incorrectly. Because it says, I could ruin that person to utterly destroy them by my action, my words, what I choose to do. If 
Nothing else. Just remember, this life is not about you. If you've trusted Christ, I'm, I'm just repeating what I said before. Your ultimate desire is to glorify God. But it's not about you. Well, I have the right to do that. I can do that. I'm okay. God's not going to zap me if I do that. But what you need to ask is, what kind of impact does it have on the other person? That's what the question you have to ask. If you don't ask that question, uh, you're not ready to do whatever you were going to do or not do. But it says, and notice, we're going to continue on. The, you're going to, he who is weak is ruined. The brother for whose sake Christ died. Notice, the work of Christ was done on behalf of that person. The ultimate work of dying on the cross. And now look at verse 12. And so by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience, conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. You notice that word sin comes up there two times. It says that if I am not careful and I am in the process of ruining somebody else instead of building them up, it says I'm sinning against that other Christian. That's bad enough. The word sin is the same word as used all in the rest of the New Testament. It literally means to miss the mark, as if you're shooting a a gun or an arrow or something at a target. It means to miss the mark. You just simply didn't hit the target. It says, if you are doing these things and ruining and not being careful, you're missing the mark of the Christian life and how you interact with other people. We are to not miss the mark because or ruin that person because we miss the mark and we ruin that other person's life. But notice what it said at the end. You also sin against God himself. Christ died for you to give you a life that's worth living. And it's a life that's worth living for the good of the other person. You might get tired of hearing that whole concept over and over again. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about the other person. That's all that matters in that whole thing. Does it matter about you? Yeah. I have to, I'm not going to do something that violates my own conscience. Because I know at the end of Romans chapter 14, it says that if I don't do whatever I do from faith, It is sin to me. I better have a clear conscience of what I choose to do. Otherwise, I'm sinning against God also because I'm not living by faith. But here, it's a little bit different. I'm sinning against the other person and I'm sinning against God because I am not careful in how I live my life. I always want to live my life to build the other person up. I already mentioned... That And we're coming to this. And there's one more word that we need to look at. Verse 13. Therefore, if, and this is true, food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again. So that I will not cause my brother to stumble. I need to understand who I am, the situation I'm in. This sermon can be preached all over the world. And it will always come out different. I can tell you that um, 
when I got saved, I, I didn't even want to uh, take my wife into a restaurant that even served alcohol. Then I was a missionary uh, with, uh, in, in Brazil. You know what? You could not go into a restaurant in Brazil that didn't serve alcohol. It's like, man, I'll tell you what, that was tough. And missionaries are taking us there. They had no problem doing it. It didn't, didn't bother me, but I'm like, what if somebody sees me here? You know, that, that was where I was at. Then I came home, and now they all the same here almost. But the point is, down there, how many of you have ever played dominoes? Don't play it in Brazil. Not along Christians. It's bad news. That would be like going to Vegas, I guess. I don't know. I never did figure out why. But it was one of those things, if you're a Christian, you don't play dominoes. Because there, it's a gambling game. I've never gambled with dominoes and probably none of you did but down there that's a big deal and so as christians as to not harm someone else or stumble someone else they're just like listen don't play dominoes it didn't make any sense to me but you know what out of respect out of the situation i chose not to do it you know why because i don't want to stumble someone because there probably were other Christians there that that was something that dominoes and gambling, they're the same. Just do it. <clears throat> Just choose not to do it. Why? Because I don't want to trip somebody else up. Now, I already told you that in Christian liberty, it's almost a no-win situation. I, I was so stressed last week when I was done with that sermon. It's like... Man, did I do a good job? Did, did I get the point across? Did, did, did people understand what I'm saying and what, what the Bible is saying? Well, the Apostle Paul, I think he was way further in this than I'll ever be. But <clears throat> he chose not to use his Christian liberty. And we're in chapter 9 now. He chose not to use his Christian liberty. And here's the thing that the people were thinking. They're like... Well, if the Apostle Paul doesn't charge us when he is here ministering and teaching us the Bible and evangelizing us and he doesn't take up an offering for his living expenses, maybe he's not a real apostle. Maybe he's a fake. Maybe he's just a secondary kind of guy. Maybe he's not the real deal. Well, guess what? He chose not to use his Christian liberty and got just as misunderstood as the person who used his Christian liberty. Either way, nobody is going to tell you this is an easy subject and that you'll walk out of here one day and go, oh, I got it all and I can just do it. Because I've been teaching this subject for probably 35, almost 40 years now, and I still understand that it's situational awareness. I have to understand exactly who I am, where I am, and who I'm with, and what the circumstances are. It's the only way I can deal with this. But it's, there are four questions that the Apostle Paul asked the Corinthian people. Because they had gotten to the point where they said, we don't know if you're a real apostle. You're not like Peter or James or John, one of those. Because, well, let's just look at it. The Apostle Paul says to them in verse 1, he says, Am I not free? By the way, each of these questions has an obvious yes answer to it. That's, the, that's what you need to know. 
Am I not free? In other words, am I not not at liberty? Don't I have the power? Don't I have the right uh, to do in an unrestrained manner what I choose to do? The answer is, yes, you do. That was the the obvious answer. He is not uh, being hindered from doing what he has the right to do. The second question is, am I not an apostle? Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on what an apostle is because after we're done with Christian liberty, we're going to deal with the subject of spiritual gifts and we will look at the gift of apostle. We'll look at it in detail. But one of the, a few things that you need to know about an apostle, an apostle is simply one who is set apart and sent with a commission to do a job. That's an apostle, a sent one, set aside to do something specific. He said, am I not apostle? And to be an apostle, you had to have miracles, signs, and wonders. You had to see the risen Christ. And you had to have interacted uh, with the risen Christ. The apostle Paul had done all of those. But they doubted it simply because he had the right to take a, a salary. He had the right to be paid, but the word tent making comes from the Apostle Paul. Because instead of anybody, he used his Christian liberty to not be paid. He said, I don't want, and there's no actual words that says this, but the whole attitude is, I don't want anybody to think that I am ministering the truths of the word of God and I'm evangelizing and I'm being a missionary because I'm making a living. I'm getting rich off of it. In other words, making, using spiritual things to, to make a living. He said, I don't want to do that. So I will work with my own hands making tents which is what he did in Corinth, so that nobody has to pay. I can do it freely. And as soon as that happened, they said, you can't be the real thing because you would have asked us to support you. He couldn't win. A lot of times, do you ever notice this, that if somebody says, this is a real high price tag, this is some high-end things, it's uh, it drives me crazy, it's bells and whistles and some extra paint, and you pay $300 more for it. And it does the exact same thing as the one that's $300 less over here. And you think this one here must be better, better piece of equipment. The way it works. Well, that's what they were doing with the Apostle Paul. They're like, if you would have charged us, we would have held you in higher esteem and we would listen to you better. He chose not to. And now they're saying, well, we don't know if you're an apostle. The fact is, the Apostle Paul made it clear. He says, um, I have done everything that is required. I have all the credentials that are required for an apostle. There's nothing less. I'm nothing less than anybody else. In fact, is he goes on, and the last, this is sort of uh, offshoot from the second question. Have I not seen the risen Lord? There are two very distinct places where the, it's written about the Apostle Paul. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, <clears throat> the, uh, Jesus had appeared to 500 people at one time, and then James, the brother of, of the, the, the Lord. And then it, it says, and one born out of time, he appeared to me. And Paul said, yeah, the Lord appeared to me. I have seen the risen Christ. But he also had seen the risen Christ on the road to Demaeus. Uh, 
Damascus, I'm sorry, Damascus. Uh, it says there uh, that the Lord Jesus had appeared to him on the road to Damascus when he got saved. <clears throat> so, indeed, he was not somebody less than, even though they were now treating him that way, simply because he did not use his full freedom, his full rights, his full power. But they end with one. And for the last couple of minutes, we're going to look at that. He says, you know what? I have proven in front of you that I'm the real thing. And the reason I can say that is because, and that's the last question, are you not my work in the Lord? Hasn't my ministry changed you? Can you not see that you used to be idol worshipers. You used to do whatever you wanted. You used to be living in sin and all those things that tore you down and messed your lives up. And now you've trusted Christ. You're living for the Lord and your life is so much better. Don't you see that? That's the practical proof of my ministry. And so in verse 2, he goes on to say, if, and this is assumed to be true, others... Don't think that I'm an apostle. At least you should. For you are my seal. A seal is something that is put on an envelope or a paper. They would drop wax on it and they would use a signet seal. Put that on there. And as long as that wasn't broken, you could say, what's inside is what's supposed to be inside there and nothing more. A seal. He said, you're my seal. Wasn't what I came and told you. It wasn't even just my life, but it's your lives, your changed lives. We started out this sermon by saying, it's not about you. It's about the other person. Can I tell you what to do in every situation? The answer is absolutely not. But you need to be careful. That's the command out of this whole thing. You need to be careful. You need to be situationally aware of what's going on around you. You better know the people that you're ministering to. If you don't, you're going to botch it pretty badly a few times. And you need to teach. I said that the first sermon is the only way you can really live out this Christian liberty is people need to be taught the truths of the word of God so that they know who they are in Christ and they know what their rights are and they know what their freedom is and they know what their power is and they know what they can and can't do. We need to do that. But he says, ultimately, you're your own proof that what I have done is what uh, what, I ha- what has happened in you is because of who I am. I am the real thing. As you leave today, don't walk on eggshells. Because you can get that from this. It's like, so you get in legalism. Say, okay, man, I have to walk over my shoulder. I've got to be careful. I'm, I'm going to be anxious and nervous everything I do. That's legalism. You'll have a list of do's and don'ts and laws that you'll never be able to get to the end to. Or you could go, you know what, this is so complicated. You know what, I'm just going to do whatever I want and so what? That's license. Don't go there. This is a walk of faith. I need to be aware of what's going on around me. I have to have the attitude and the mentality that what I do, I want to build other people up. I want it for their good. I'm going to love people. 
That's not a new, that's not a new subject. It's just taking the whole thing of love your neighbor as yourself and applying it to Christian liberty. Let's all stand together as we close. Father, you're a God that is so above us. Some of these things are just simply not easy to put into practice. I know that I'm still working on this. I probably will be. I'm pretty sure I will be the rest of my life. Lord, I pray that all of us would not just go, I'm a Christian and I can do whatever I want to do. Father, we would say, thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you for giving me a life that's worth living. And Lord, please help me to love those around me, to love my neighbor, to lift him up, and by all means, not stumble or ruin or destroy him. Lord, I pray that we would have the attitude toward others that you want us to have. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Go with God.